0: This episode of History Goes Bump is entirely listener-supported. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump Podcast.
1: Hello, you spectacular people! Welcome to this two hundred fifty fifth episode of the History Ghost Bump Podcast: Ghost Tours for the Theater of the Mind. I am your host, Diane. On this episode, we're going to be talking about the Mermaid Inn, which is over in Rye, in Great Britain. There's a lot of hauntings going on in this place, so I'm looking forward to bringing it to you. And it's so much fun to go over to the UK and the countries that are over in Europe, because all of the structures there are just so old as compared to here in America. So you've got so much history to dig into. There's a lot of interesting stuff that's happened here. Before we get into that, we had a lot of you come into the Spooktacular crew. We want to welcome you. Kai, K-Y, welcome. Sandra, Brian with a Y, Lisa, Jennifer, Elisha, Bettina, love that name. Emily, Deborah with an R O A H at the end, Katie with an I E, Lisa with an E, Julie, Dawn, Melissa, Gary, and Christy, Belinda. I believe it's Abby with just one B and an I. Karen and Beth. Welcome everybody. Glad to have you with us. And now this moment in oddity. The moment naughty was suggested by Amy Harris-Martinez. On September 12, 2008, at 4.22 p.m., a commuter train carrying 225 riders in California's San Fernando Valley collided with a freight train at 83 miles per hour. The crash came to be known as the Chatsworth Crash. 135 people were injured and 25 died. One of the people who died was a man named Charles E. Peck. He was in the prime of life at just 49 years old and was a customer service agent for Delta Airlines at Salt Lake City International Airport. His fiance lived in California and he wanted to be closer to her, so he was traveling aboard the train to Los Angeles for a job interview at Van Nuys Airport. This is generally where the story would end, a tragic death. But Charles was not finished with his life here, and he was about to embark on some truly unexplainable communication. It took crews nearly 12 hours to finally recover Charles' body from the wreck. During the time that he was still inside the wreckage, his loved ones started receiving calls from his cell phone. He called his son, his brother, his stepmother, his sister, and his fiance. There were 35 calls placed in total. The family members would answer the phone each time a call came in, but there was never anything on the other end except static. Every time they tried to return the call, it would go straight to voicemail. The family did not know for sure that Charles had been killed, so they held out hope that he was alive and trying to reach them. Rescue workers used the signal from the cell phone to finally find Charles' body. After the body was recovered, it was clear that he had died on impact and could not have made any of the phone calls, at least not physically. The cell phone was never recovered. And the cell phone was clearly not on if it was going straight to voicemail. And so there's no way it could be placing the calls on its own, nor would a cell phone call several different numbers that just happen to be family members. And so the fact that they all received several phone calls certainly is odd.
0: This history podcast is haunted.
1: And now this month in history. month of April, on the 13th, in 1969, the American comedy movie The Love Bug was released by Walt Disney Productions. The Love Bug is the title character, and this character is a 1963 Volkswagen Beetle named Herbie, who has a personality and is anthropomorphic. Most of you listeners know exactly what Herbie looks like, even if you haven't seen the movie. He's a pearl white color with a fabric sunroof, with red and blue racing stripes running over the hood, roof, and back end and the number 53 is within a circle, and that's painted on each door. The number was chosen by producer Bill Walsh, She was a fan of the Los Angeles Dodgers baseball player Don Drysdale, and his retired number was 53. The movie was based on the 1961 book Car, Boy, Girl by Gordon Buford and follows the adventures of Herbie, Herbie's driver Jim Douglas, played by Dean Jones, and Jim's love interest Carol Bennett, played by Michelle Lee. Muddy Hackett also stars in the film as Jim's enlightened, kind-hearted friend, Tennessee Steinmetz. The villain in the movie is played by English actor David Tomlinson. Herbie's main adventure is race car driving. Spoiler, Herbie does win the big race. This movie was the last live-action film produced by Disney under the guidance of Walt Disney himself.
0: Hi, I'm Dina Marie, the host of the Twisted Philly podcast, and I've got a question for you. Do you love podcasts because I sure do. And that's why the podcast community, podcast we listen to, is hosting their very first podcast convention for listeners. It's called Pattern Love. The and Love Convention is for listeners By listeners, it's for all of us, and it includes podcasts from every genre you could imagine, including comedy, movies and TV, pop culture, paranormal, history, health and fitness, true crime, and so many more. Our first convention is August 10th, 11th, and 12th, 2018, in one of the coolest cities in the country, New Orleans, Louisiana, and it's being held at the Intercontinental Hotel, which is a premier French Quarter hotel. The location is amazing and the room rate can't be beat either. It's only $129 a night. Tickets are on sale on the website at That's www.podernlove. That's wwwp oder ove There are over 40 independent podcasts already lined up to present at Podern Love, and we'll be adding more before the convention. Plus, featured podcasters have discount codes, so you can get a discount on your tickets. Be sure to follow Potter and Love on Twitter and Facebook for the latest convention updates, news, information about new shows that are joining, and links to a dedicated website just for Potter and Love attendees to book their hotel room. We can't wait to see you this August in New Orleans.
1: Well, thank you for sharing that, Dina. And you guys, if you want to join me in New Orleans, your discount code for History Ghost Bump is B-U-M-P, Bump. You put that in when you get your tickets, you'll get 10% off. And I'd love to have you join me there. of three rivers sits the East Sussex town of Rye. This is an ancient medieval town that became an important harbor along the English Channel. In the town of Rye, one will find the historic Mermaid Inn. The original building no longer stands, but the current building dates back more than 600 years, with the original old cellars still in place. There are several secret passages that were used by smugglers. Some of these smugglers were members of the Hawkehurst gang, and they used the Mermaid Inn as their hideout the inn has seen a long turbulent history. Today, it is a restaurant, bar, and hotel that reputedly has many spirits kicking about in its various rooms. There are stories of cold spots, chairs moving on their own, and full-bodied apparitions. Let's explore the history and hauntings of the Mermaid Inn. Rye is an ancient town and it's believed that it derives its name from the word Rye, R-I-E. From Roman times, it was a busy harbor as it was located on a huge embayment of the English Channel called the Rye Camber. Rye became a part of the Cinque Ports Confederation in 1189, and this was a series of coastal towns that formed the confederation for military and trade purposes. Rye was considered one of the finer Cinque Ports. The town received its charter from King Edward I in 1289. Fortunes for the port city would take a bad turn when the River Rother changed course, and violent storms cut the town off from the sea. The sea and river eventually combined and destroyed the eastern part of the town. In 1377, the French sacked and burned rye. Eventually, bigger ships needed ports that had deeper waters, and the rye coast was constantly filling up with silt, so the economy began to decline as shipping went elsewhere. Smuggling and fishing took over, and by the end of the 17th century, it became widespread throughout Kent and Sussex. Owling was the biggest form of smuggling, and that is wool smuggling. Today, it is a small town with a population under 5,000, and Rye has become a popular tourist destination with hotels and B&Bs. Mermaid Street in Rye has a steep slope, and the street is cobbled. It's on this street that one will find the Mermaid Inn, which is a grade 2 listed historical inn. The original building that was once here no longer exists, but its sellers are still here and date back to 1156. The current building was built in 1420. The Tudor-style additions were added in the 16th century. The inn is black and white timber framed, and much of the timber was taken from ships that were being dismantled. The building is also tiled and has carved cairnstone chimney pieces that are embellished with decorations. Several of the fireplaces were formed from secret passages that were within the Mermaid Inn. So they filled them in and made them into fireplaces, but there were a ton of secret passages here. There's an overhang that is supported on wooden columns with brackets and cross beams. The building has two stories and an attic. One thing anyone will notice quickly about this place is that there is a lot of carved wood. Many of the rooms also have exposed wooden beams. And I encourage you guys to Google this and look at some of the furnishings that they have in the rooms. The headboards are just amazing carved wood structures and then the wooden paneling on the walls too. And in the lounges and the restaurants, we'll get into talking about some of that, but it's just a lot of glorious wood carved. And the floors are all wooden. And of course, since this is an old building, there's a lot of creaking on those floorboards. Inside the building is a pub, restaurant, and inn. Sloping ceilings hang over those enjoying a drink at the Giant's Fireplace Bar, which has an Ingle Nook fireplace and is supported by a beam that traverses the entire room. If one is looking for food, there are offerings in the large linen-fold paneled restaurant. And there's also the Dr. Sin dining room or the boardroom, which is a private dining room. A lot of wedding receptions get hosted here, or occasionally they'll do a breakfast before a wedding. In the Dr. Sin's lounge, one can find wall carvings of Catholic priests who are fleeing to the continent during the Reformation. But there are even more treasures to be found for those of us who enjoy secret tunnels, sliding wall panels, and priest holes. All of these came in handy during the days of the pirates and smugglers. One particular group that made use of the Mermaid Inn was the Hawkehurst Gang. The Hawkehurst Gang was a notorious criminal organization that ran a smuggling ring out of Rye's Harbor from 1735 until 1749. Most of southern England suffered under not only their smuggling efforts, but this was a violent and murderous gang. So it wasn't just that they were stealing stuff from the various communities around there, including Rye, but they were hurting people and trying to gain power by intimidation. They successfully raided custom houses all along the coast. They eventually were defeated in a battle with the Goudhurst Militia in 1747, and two of their leaders were executed at that time. That was Arthur Gray and Thomas Kingsmill. This didn't stop the gang, though. They were very successful and so powerful that they were able to operate in Rye with freedom. I mean, they took over this Mermaid Inn, which was supposed to be this hotel. And when they went back and looked at the records for the hotel, they stopped when the gang came in. So you can document it just by looking at the records where they were keeping track of paying customers and things like that. They're like, this is when the gang had to have come in because there's no more records during this period after that. They were so successful and able to operate so freely that on one occasion they smuggled a huge load of goods off of three large cutters at Pevensey and they managed to carry it all inland on 500 pack horses. So you think about how much material that is that you needed 500 horses to bring it in and controlling 500 horses you'd have to have lots of men to do that as well and it's not like you're going to be able to hide that. So this had to clearly have been out in the open for people to see this going on, and nobody stopped him. In the early 1740s, Jeremiah Curtis joined the gang. He'd already been part of another violent gang in the Hastings area. He was a brutal man and had a man named Richard Hawkins whipped and beaten to death because he thought he had stolen tea from the gang. So just because they thought he might have taken some tea, they had him beaten to death. And mind you, if somebody was taking tea from the gang, where do you think they got that tea to begin with? It's one of the things that they made off with quite a bit from the custom houses was tea. The kind of brutality that Curtis brought to the Hawkehurst gang got locals up in arms. And it was because of that that they formed the Gouthurst Band of Militia. And it was led by General George Stewart, who was a former army corporal. And as I already told you, they were successful back in 1747 with defeating them. During another battle, the gang attacked because they were enraged by this act of defiance that all these people would get together and form this militia. Well, several of them were killed, and so they were forced to withdraw because they just didn't have the numbers. Eventually, many of them were executed. And then in 1749, they disbanded and no longer were in business. By 1770, the Mermaid Inn was no longer a functioning inn and even became a home for Charles Poyle in 1847. Talk about a big home. (laughs) I don't know what you would do with all of these rooms, but okay. By 1913, the inn was a club that was owned by May Aldington. She was the mother of the novelist Richard Aldington. Artists used to frequent the club and some of them included Dame Ellen Terry, Lord Alfred Douglas, A.C. and E.F. Benson, and Rupert Brooke. During World War II, the Mermaid functioned as a garrison for Canadian officers and one of those officers eventually bought the place. His name was L. Wilson. The Mermaid Inn received its grade two distinction in 1951 and is one of only 75 grade two buildings on the list. Today, the inn is owned by Judith Blinkow and Robert Penwell. They bought it in 1993. Not only do just the everyday tourists come to visit, but many famous people of stage and screen as well as politicians have stayed here. These include Queen Elizabeth II, the Queen Mother, Prince Edward, Warren Beatty, Charlie Chaplin, Pierce Brosnan, Andy Garcia, and Johnny Depp. And a little fun fact, the exterior of the inn was used in the Monty Python film Yellow Beard. The inn part of the establishment features 31 rooms that are uniquely named and styled. All of the beds are magnificently carved, as I told you and many of the rooms are surrounded by dark wood paneling. There are some that don't have the paneling in them, and it's just kind of a a white wall. Even the ones that have just white walls have exposed beams that are a dark wood. Each room has a cairnstone fireplace, and the windows are latticed. The bathrooms have bare claw footed bathtubs and updated amenities. Each room is named for a famous person that is a part of the mermaid's history, And filled with antiques. Now, some of these quote unquote famous people aren't necessarily famous to the country or to the whole city of Rye. They're famous for the hotel. So it might be an owner's daughter, say, or named after a previous owner. You kind of have to put that famous in quotations. The Rye Royal Room derives its name from a visit by Queen Elizabeth I to Rye in 1573. During that visit, she declared Rye to be royal and presented the town with 100 gold angel coins. Dr. Sin's bedchamber is named for Dr. Sin, and that is spelled S-Y-N, a fictitious character created by the author Russell Thorndike. The character is based on the factual hawker smuggling gang of 600 men. The vicar of Dimchurch, Dr. Sin, was portrayed by George Arliss in a 1937 feature film and Patrick McGowan in a 1960s Walt Disney version. The author visited the inn several times, and so that's why... That room happens to be named after one of his characters. The Frank Palmer Room is named for the 700th mayor of Rye. The Bean Room is named after Thomas Bean, the landlord of the Mermaid Inn from 1735 to 1736 and again in 1751. And the reason why there is that span of dates from 1736 to 1751 is it's believed that that's the time that the Hawkehurst gang had taken over. Now, this didn't mean that Bean got pushed out. It just means that Bean maybe was in collusion with the smugglers. And it is believed that he was in collusion with them in the kidnapping from the inn of Gabriel Tompkins, who was staying in room 22. And he was the bailiff of the Sheriff of Sussex. So apparently he was not punished for whatever hand he had in that since he was allowed to become landlord of the Mermaid Inn again. And he didn't go down like the rest of the Hawkhurst gang. The Mrs. Betts room is named after Mrs. Betty Betts, who owned the 16th century cottage that was next to the mermaid. That cottage was incorporated into the inn. The Elizabethan bedchamber is named for Queen Elizabeth I and has a lovely four-poster bed. There's also a secret passage, oubliette, and staircase to the old kitchen, which is now the bar. So it's already like, ooh, there's a secret passageway. Very cool. But for those of you who've listened to some of our Haunted Castle episodes, we've mentioned oubliettes before. And this is basically a dungeon area. So the fact that it's attached to this bed chamber, I'm not exactly sure what this room served as at one time. (laughs) I mean, why does this have a dungeon area apparently underneath it? So that's just touching on a few of the interesting room names that they have there. A lot of the other ones are children of owners or owners and, and that kind of thing. Apparently, the inn has more than just history lingering from the past. It is reputedly quite haunted with owners, employees, and guests all reporting experiences. The TV show Most Haunted has investigated the location. A local medium visited a previous landlord and inquired about arranging a ghost watch. The landlord agreed and joined the medium. The two were stunned when they witnessed the materialization of two ghostly figures with rapiers who appeared to be dueling with one another. The landlord claimed to witness the fight until it was over. It ended with one specter running its sword through the chest of the other. The ghost then removed a floorboard and stuffed the dead man's body under it. This scene has been seen more than once and happens in the Elizabethan room. And as I told you, there's an oubliette there. So it is believed that what this guy was witnessing wasn't that these floorboards were necessarily be taken up, but that there was a trap door there that led into the oubliette. So that he took this body and threw it down through the trapdoor into the oubliette. My question is Has anybody gone down there and like dug around or found any bones? Because to me, this seems like they were witnessing a residual haunting of some kind of duel that must have happened here. And he threw the body down in the oubliette to hide it, I guess. So I'd be interested to know a little bit more about that. One of the current owners of The Mermaid, Judith Blinkow, came downstairs one morning to find two of her guests sleeping on the couch in the lounge. She thought this was quite odd and worried that the room was not to their satisfaction. When she asked them why they were in the lounge, they said they had seen ghostly figures walk through the walls in the room. They refused to return to their room and had to have their things brought out to them. Judith claims to have never experienced a ghost, but enough guests have had experiences that she believes there must be some spirits on the premises. Room one is haunted by a lady in gray who sits in a chair by the fireplace. And if a guest leaves their clothes in that chair overnight, they sometimes will find the clothes to be wet in the morning, even though there's no leaking water overhead or any water near the clothes at all. So that's freaky because why is a ghost leaving behind wet? And she's not described as a lady in gray who's wet. So what is that? (laughs) Room 17 is said to be haunted by the wife of the founder of the Hawkehurst gang, and that guy was George Gray. Nobody's sure exactly why his wife haunts this place. Did she just die of natural causes here? Was she murdered? But she haunts a rocking chair in the room, and guests claim to wake up in the middle of the night and see the chair rocking on its own, and they found the room to be icy cold. The owners finally removed the chair because there were so many complaints about it. Another member of the Hawkehurst gang had a girlfriend who served as a maid at the inn and she was murdered by another one of the smugglers because he felt she talked too much about their exploits. She has been seen throughout the inn as a full-bodied apparition. The interesting thing is they see a lot of full-bodied apparitions at this place. There are two ladies in white found here. One is in room 14 and the other is in room 15. Now, since these are rooms that I'm assuming are next to each other, I tend to wonder if it's not just one lady in white and she's moving through the walls between each room or haunts both rooms. So I don't know that it's two separate ones. I don't have any further descriptions like one has red hair, one has blonde hair or dark hair. Room 7 is haunted by a man in period clothing and he likes to sit on the edge of beds when guests are trying to sleep. Room 16 has a male ghost that has made appearances Other phenomenon that are regularly reported are cold spots in rooms and rocking chairs. They're very popular here to move on their own. So apparently ghosts like to sit in the rocking chairs quite a bit. A bartender turned in his notice after he was tending to the fire and a few bottles at the end of the room flew off their shelves. He said, you know what? It's enough for me. I'm out of here. I don't know if the bottles just kind of fell to the floor, if they just kind of slid onto the bar or if they got hurled at him maybe. I'm thinking that it had a little bit more to do with Maybe him feeling in danger? The Mermaid Inn has been around a long time and served many people. It's an exquisitely decorated building that harkens back to the Tudor period and beyond. Are there remnants of its turbulent past still hanging around in the present in the form of spirits? Is the Mermaid Inn haunted? That is for you to decide. Just another fabulous place to check out when I finally make my way over there to uh, Britain. We'd love to have you check out the website at HistoryGoesBump.com. And if you'd like to send us some feedback, you can do that at HistoryGoesBump at gmail.com. We also sometimes get comments over on the website. This one's from Valerie. I've been listening to the show for about a year now and I was hooked with the first listen. I'm an old spirit at heart and I've been told that I carry the spirit of an old lady with me. With that being said, I've always loved history and have my whole life. I've had encounters with the paranormal world and supernatural for as long as I can remember. And now that I have two small children, I notice my eldest is experiencing the same. Your show really helps connect me with others that feel the same as us. Also glad to know I'm not alone in this wacky, spooky world. Well, you are definitely not alone. And she threw in that her son loves the show. When we get in the car, he asked for the Ghostbump show. So thanks for keeping it clean and friendly for my four-year-old. I believe, Valerie, that your son is probably our youngest listener. I'm pretty positive about that. And I love that he calls this the ghost bump show. That's awesome. We also heard from Rebecca about our Holocaust show that we did. And she writes, hey, I listen to your podcast on the regular. I love your dynamic and the locations you pick are always fascinating. I recently listened to your episode on Yom HaShoah. I love that you took the time to do an episode on such an important topic. It may not be entertaining. However, it is important to learn and to spread the Jewish message of never again. What that means is that we will work to make sure that never again will such atrocities happen because we know what it is like. I'd like to make one correction, however, and add another group of people that the Nazis went after viciously. So this is where she is explaining to me how to say the holiday because we got it a little bit wrong. So what she did is let me know the way that I just pronounced it is how you're supposed to say it. And ha means the or of the and Shoah is one word meaning basically Holocaust. And then yom means day. And the group that she wanted to point out that they went after were the disabled. And in particular, she said, for the next part, the Nazis went after the disabled, but most viciously they went after the deaf. The reason for this is because they couldn't hear the propaganda, but the Nazis explained that it was because they could not hear the words of God. There's just not enough time in one podcast to go over everything about the Holocaust, but I think you guys did a wonderful job. So thank you for sharing that, Rebecca. We knew that they went after disabled people, obviously, particularly mentally disabled. I did not know that information about the deaf, how viciously they went after the deaf. So this was something that I learned. And uh, I thank you very much for sharing that with us. And isn't it amazing that their excuse for going after them is because they can't hear the words of God, like the Nazis knew anything about God? Well, I am very excited this weekend. I leave for Louisville, going to do the first live show that History Goes Bump has ever been a part of. We're going to be doing it with Pleasing Terrors and Hillbilly Horror Stories. Looking forward to seeing Mike Brown again in person and meeting Jerry and Tracy Polly. And we're also going to have Jeremy Collins of Podcasts We Listen To and Dina Marie of the Twisted Philly Podcast are going to be there as well. They're going to introduce us in And uh, we're going to hang out together. I'm really looking forward to meeting them in person. The live event is sold out, as are both of the Waverly tours that we're doing after that event. For those of you who are going to be there, I'm coming in on Friday. We're going to go to an Irish pub for dinner at 6 p.m. If you have not gotten that information already from the Facebook event that we set up, Let me know and I'll make sure you know what restaurant we're going to be at. And then we're doing the Louisville Ghost Tour after that. For those of you who join me there, you will be getting your pin for that meetup. Saturday morning, I'm going to get together with Dina Marie and she is staying at the Haunted Bach in Louisville. We're going to do a recording there. We also are going to be doing some Facebook Lives. I believe we're going to simulcast. If there ever was a time to become an executive producer of the History Goes Bump show, now would be the time. For just a dollar a month, you get into the Losers Club and you get to access to Facebook Lives that are exclusive. And so whatever I'm doing with Dina, that's going to be exclusive over there. We're also going to do things from Louisville with the ghost tour. I'm going to be looking for cemeteries, going to Mammoth Cave, Waverly Hills. I'm going to try to do as many Facebook Lives as I can. But you need to be a part of the Losers Club to watch all of that. So it's just a buck a month and you get to be part of that secret group that we have at Facebook. You can join up at patreon.com forward slash history ghost bump. We do have some Apple podcast reviews to share. First up is Morgan six nine eight, a favorite to my ears. Five stars. HGB is one of my favorite podcasts. I look forward to each new episode. The mix of history, lore and paranormal is always a good listen. Check it out. You won't be disappointed. Thank you, Morgan. Free Sparrow, love, 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 five stars. Great combination of history and the paranormal done with excellent research by two lovely ladies. And RDA Ruben EPT, history goes bump. Clever name, amazing to hear, five stars. Absolutely fell in love with the show. Thanks to Hillbilly for steering me in your direction. Thank you to Jerry and Tracy over at Hillbilly Horror Stories for steering you our way. We're glad to have you. I want to thank you for tuning in to this episode. I've been your host, Diane. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. Dispatches from the Gravedigger. We like to thank Kelly Rang for increasing your donation. Looks like the Gravedigger is going to be building you a mausoleum. Wake up, Gravedigger! You have some work to do. Come on now.
0: But I was having such a nice dream. Have a spooky experience that occurred at an historic location? Want to give us feedback or have a suggestion for the show? Share it with us at historygoesbump at gmail.com.